I was actually at a church six months ago and they introduced me as the wrong person. So that was the worst probably I've ever had. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Brett Ullman. I come from Ajax. Uh, I drove in last night. It was a horrible drive and not because of the drive. I got to hear the Raptors and the Leafs both lose in my drive-in over five hours. Um, my background's education. I'm a high school phys ed chemistry biology teacher. Uh, I left, te I actually never taught that. I ended up going to elementary. I taught rotary science to grade sevens and eights in inner city Scarborough, and I left that 13 years ago to do this, and this is actually my entire job. I travel and speak full-time, talking on issues that I just think we've often forgotten to talk about, especially within our church world. Uh, we're covering mental health today. I speak on sex. We do need to look at how we all can get a biblical worldview of healthy sexuality. I speak on pornography and addictions. I speak on dating and media and men. How do we become better husbands and fathers and boyfriends? Uh, and this afternoon is my, my newest talk, this, uh, this idea of navigating everything for parents. How do we look at all kind of conversations amongst that? Uh, this is my wife, Dawn, and my two children. Uh, this picture is five years old, so this is actually my favorite photo of my family, but my young girl here is now actually 17 in grade 11, and my son is actually in grade uh, 10. I use this picture for one reason. I use it because it's a lie. I'm smiling, and it looks like everything's good, but it's not. I am this far away from having a panic attack, and I didn't tell anybody. My life changed uh, seven years ago. Uh, it was actually a date that I can remember. It was March 1st, 2012. I left teaching. I went into a program called the Aero Leadership Program. I left the Aero Program and then did a master's degree down at a school called Wheaton Grad School in Chicago. But now I'm an international student, so my speaking dates went from a sustainable amount up to 300 speaking dates a year, which is, just so you know, it's unsustainable to actually do that. The day I graduated, my body began to slowly fall apart. I began to almost pass out at speaking events. There's nothing like wandering across the front when you're speaking and suddenly wondering, like, do I just fall down? Like, how do you actually pass out? Uh, like, you're wondering, do I go down to one knee? And then I took a break from the talk, went to my doctor. He says, you have anxiety. I said, I speak on anxiety. He said, no, no, you have anxiety. It was this weird interaction. Uh, I had my first panic attack. I went to a Christian Reformed retreat out in Alberta. I'm speaking to 1,200 people. Uh, panic attack, fight or flight. Uh, like, I literally drove away. Can you picture this morning? Welcome, Brett Allman, and boom, you see my car driving out of the parking lot. Uh, it all came to head uh, a few months around July that year. I was speaking at a camp in Coburg, and uh, my whole equilibrium went off. My wife walked me to my car. We were at actually at McDonald's, walked me to my car. I didn't leave the cottage for the week. I didn't leave my house for five months. I didn't work for a year. There's irony in my journey in that it's seven years later and I still struggle. This of all my talks is probably the one closest to my heart. Uh, social media, I'm, I'm a teacher at heart. If you write something down, you'll probably remember it. You're welcome to take your phones out. You can take notes physically, digitally. You can take photos of any slide that you want. And I've also linked every single thing in this talk on a little, I'll show you where later, it's just, a, I call it a take-home section on my website. Just a couple of quick ground rules. Um, we need to get this right, because often we don't. If you ever speak to people who struggle with mental health, almost across the board, they say that the church, the greater church community has hurt them more than it's helped them, and that's not okay, and we can do better. Number two, uh, I come from a faith perspective. Uh, I will just say this with, with all faith. Each of us comes from different histories and stories and backgrounds. We've all had different lives and things that have happened to us and to people around us. It's all given us different thoughts and feelings on conversations of mental health. I just say on any of the debates we have, and we'll do a few in this talk, but any of the debates, the people who get hurt are never the people debating. It's always the people struggling with mental health. I'm going to give you lots of statistics. They're all wrong. 
because all statistics are wrong. Statistics are just a snapshot of a time and a place in the world that doesn't exist anymore. So I always find it funny when I say something's 80 and someone comes up after and says, Brett, I think it's 85. I will actually say to you, I don't care. Uh, 85 it is. Like 80 and 85 are the same, right? It means it's a lot. 20 means it's a little. And here's the biggest one. Uh, I assume most of you have never heard me speak. I just need you to trust me for 30 minutes. Uh, We are not leaving Christian faith. There's no weird ideologies, no weird philosophies. We're just looking at how do we help people connect their ancient faith with their modern world with this conversation on mental health. So I found myself as a leader, as someone who speaks on mental health, suddenly trapped in my home. I could not leave. I have one of those super mailboxes. It was 107 steps from my house. I could not get more than two houses down, and my hands would shake and my body would panic. And so I sat on my couch most days. And in came my friends, and if you've read Job, it literally was Job's friends. Each person would come in, and they'd sit across from me, and they would each say, after a few minutes of pleasantries, well, have you tried, and then given me, give me some kind of answer. And often people would say, have you tried Jesus? And I would say, what do you mean by that? And they're like, you know, Jesus. I'm like, I know Jesus. What do you mean by have I tried Jesus? Like, it's a chocolate bar I was just going to take. And they would look at me. These are like pastors, and they would say, isn't that what I'm supposed to say to you? And I would say, I don't know anymore. And they would all leave, and then I would sit. And then someone else would come in and offer me, like, say, we should try these milkshakes. I'm like, are milkshakes healing? I didn't. And they're like specialty milkshakes, right, with lots of vitamins and minerals. But hundreds of people came in and gave me a hundred different vectors and a hundred different roads. One day my wife came in and she said, we need to talk. And it wasn't a talk that I was expecting. Uh, She thought I was going to take my life. That's not a conversation you ever want to have with anyone, yet alone your wife. She said, you need to do something or you're going to die. I had quit speaking. Uh, I'd packed up all my, I hadn't left my house in five months. How would I ever work again? Packed it all up. She said, you need to create or you're going to die. And so she said, what would you do if you ever spoke again? And I said, I'm, I'm never speaking again. I can't leave my house. What would you do if you ever did speak again? She said. And I said, I'd want to help people not have this, this crazy roads in a million directions. And so I began the kind of outline for this conversation this morning. Now, I'm going to just look at anxiety and depression. I know mental health is so much bigger. I want to talk about first steps, practical, faith, and some thoughts, and then we're done. And when I say we're done, if you want to come and chat, I'll be at my booth. If you want to grab a card, I'll email with you later. The goal is really it kind of sparks some conversation amongst you with leaders, pastors, friends, family, and so on. So depression and anxiety, there's not a day that goes by when someone on one of my social media platforms doesn't say something like, oh, I'm so depressed. And I would kind of say, oh, wow, you had a really bad day. That's kind of the language of the day that we use. But this is the problem. What actually is depression? I mean, I I was at home with clinical depression for a year, but is that the same as seasonal affective disorder, which we're just breaking out of, but now it's raining? Like, last week when it was a little bit warmer, we're all smiling. My neighbors all came out. We're all chatting out in the street. But what happens, like, six months from now when the time change happens again? It's dark when you go to work. It's dark all the time. We're all kind of feeling blah. Is that depression? Sure it is. Is it clinical depression? No. Death, breakups, all these kinds of things that happen in life. There's seasons that we just also just feel blah. Nothing's even happened and you just feel blah. Welcome to just being human. And then what about anxiety? Some of you, if you had to come up this morning and introduce like uh, the speaker or something, your hands would shake and the piece of paper would shake. Does that mean you have anxiety? Sure. Is it clinical anxiety? No. Is it social anxiety, people who don't even come to church today because they could not be with us because they just couldn't even walk through the door? There are all these continuums. We as parents worry about you as our kids. You as students worry about your future, who you'll date, where you'll do for when when you get older, and all these different things. How these look in my life? Everything from heart palpitations, headaches, dizziness, which is why I actually sit in a chair. Uh, I read a quote from Pope Francis many years ago who says, "'Recovery is making a life despite limitations.'" It was a changing quote for me. 
because I kind of, like, if I had to come today and speak with, with a podium, I couldn't do it, but I can come and sit in a big chair, and for whatever reason, my body's a little bit calmer, and I can do it. Uh, feeling helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness, disconnection, shortness of breath, cramps, panic attacks, we'll come back to that, hot flushes, and for me, the bane of my existence is not sleeping. I have not had one night's sleep since March 1st, 2012. My most I've ever had is four and a half hours. I'm up every night, every sleep cycle, and I had a massive panic attack four weeks ago. It was my first one in a year, and it really rocked me. I still haven't come back from it. Uh, I'm up between 12 and 14 times a night. I I actually don't sleep more than 20 minutes at a time. Now, if you don't sleep, or if you ever had a bad night's sleep, you know how it affects you. You you wake up exhausted, and then throughout the day, your body responds, for me, with anxiety. What does anxiety cause? Sleeplessness, and it just causes these cycles to be embedded into your life. Now, statistics, I actually don't like. Uh, Let me just do it this way. How many of you know someone who struggles with any form of mental health? Quick show of hands. Let's do that better. That's a lot better than just some statistics. Uh, One of my favorite quotes I read recently says this, people have taken to exaggerating their everyday experiences and punctuating sentences with terminology appropriate for a psychiatrist's office. They aren't nervous about an upcoming work presentation, they have bad anxiety, they aren't uncomfortable to go to a big party where they don't know anyone, they have social anxiety and they don't get butterflies in their stomach, they have panic attacks. And I would just say everyone deserves to be taken seriously, but we need better uses of language today because everyone is using language that some people actually have conditions for. My favorite metaphor for depression, you're stuck in a deep, dark hole in the ground. The walls are completely smooth and you don't have anything to help you get out. Most people just walk past the hole, but occasionally, which is sad, occasionally someone stops the top, looks down and asks, what's wrong? You tell them you're stuck in this hole and you can't get out, and they say, so just climb up. And you look all around and all you can say is, I can't. They say, sure you can, and they walk away. Now, one thing you'll see uh, these days is we, we have a lot of social media and articles that are talking about how technology is all the problem. And I would just say, you, anything that ever says all is wrong. Like this, 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 all the issues are from smartphones is just not true. We think it's about a 25 to 40% increase in mental health since the smartphone came out, which was my daughter was in kindergarten. And if you're in grade 11, grade 10, that's kind of, but that's not it. Like, we, we, yes, we spend way too much time on uh, social media. There's this relentless pressure. Uh, this poor diet and lack of sleep has changed. We're just not feeling like we're enough. There's issues with dopamine. Dopamine is every time you get a notification on your phone, every time it buzzes in your pocket. It's the same as whether you get a hug, a kiss, or someone puts their arm around you. But what do we do when you get a million dopamine hits to the brain over 10 years? We don't know. We're now seeing this with adults, we're seeing this with students. You could have a predisposition to mental health, could be trauma, I think I was burnout breakdown, could be sleep apnea, or just the idea of loneliness and isolation. I think we as Canadians began to talk about mental health when McLean's Magazine pulled 1,600 students at U of A, and they found this. These statistics floored people. We're talking like half the school felt hopeless, 52% felt overwhelming anxiety. They made a premise, maybe it's just University of Alberta. And then what they did is they polled every university and college in all of Canada, and they found this. this, The statistics each went up just a little bit. I put forth, when I drive home this evening, from your church to my church and every single person in between, it's everywhere we go. Every school, every elementary high school, every workplace, you name it. Now, today I don't have time to walk through everything, so on my take-home section, I've given you uh, a bunch of clips of Claire Hughes and her trip across the country, the Olympian, and viral videos and TED Talks, and I did two programs on panic. Uh, If you don't know what a panic attack is, by the way, think of like a grenade. You pull the pin and it explodes inside you, but what explodes is emotions. 
I'm going to assume at some point in your life, most of you have been to Wonderland. Is that a good assumption? Uh, if you've been to Wonderland, you go on one of their big roller coasters like the Leviathan. Uh, what will happen is, like, if you're like me, you go on the front car, very front car. Little bar goes down. You, the, the thing starts. It turns a corner, starts going up into the sky. You hear tick, tick, tick as it drags you up into the sky. I can see some of your facial expressions right now kind of doing this. You don't like roller coasters. What's happening as you start going up high? Your blood pressure rises. Your heart rate rises. You break out in goosebumps. What's happening? The beginning of a panic attack. But you paid $65 for it. <laughs> you want emotions certain times in a scary movie. You don't want them sitting in church, sitting at work tomorrow, students at school or whatever you're doing when you just don't understand I would put forth, by the way, that we give a different set of rules for many people uh, with any ailment in society, and we almost have like a different set of rules for people with mental health. Look at this first one. Uh, have you tried, you know, not having the flu? I have 1,000 emails, and I stopped counting, from people who wrote me and said, have you tried, you know, not having anxiety? Like I could think my way out of it. No one would ever say that to other people and other ailments and other things. The next one, this person's profusely bleeding. It's like you're not even trying to stop bleeding. And the last one is actually a person giving themselves an insulin shot for diabetes. I don't think it's healthy that you have to take medication every day just to feel normal. Don't you worry it's changing you from who you really are? So I think if we're going to start somewhere, we should start with kind of a level playing field that all of us who struggle with whatever it might be have the availability to journey towards some hope and healing and redemption and rescue in it. Now, you might have gandered or gathered, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher by both gifting and by trade, and I'm a researcher. I've read 240 books on mental health. I've talked to about 20,000 people who struggle, and I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands, of counselors, therapists I've spoken to. Number one question to this day I still get, Brett, I love Jesus. What about medicine? Well, let's address this. Uh, if you look everything from asthma all the way down to transplant rejection drugs, all these things are we do best practices. I have a friend, uh, he, in my small group, he has prostate cancer. We're, we're journeying through prostate cancer with him. Uh, my friend has her father's kidney in her, uh, so she has to take transplant rejection drugs. If you have diabetes, you take insulin. All these things, people go, yes, like, of course you do these things. Sleeping pills are a little kind of a grayer area, but the moment we hit depression and anti-anxiety medications, we now have differing opinions. And what's kind of weird is sometimes is the polarization of opinions. One person once said to me, meds are always good. I'm like, are you a drug dealer? Like, no, that is, meds are not always good. And then someone said, well, meds are always bad. And I'm like, why are meds always bad? I think we polarize so much. The world's not black and white. It's like a million shades of gray in the middle. Do we over-medicate? Yes. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, his uh, wife was killed in a car accident, and he went to his doctor a month later and said, I'm not doing okay. And the doctor just put him on meds. Didn't ask why or what. There was no nothing. It was just, here's meds. And I'm like, that's not okay. But what if you need meds? So I took meds for my first five months, and I'm one of those people who don't do well on meds. And that doesn't mean other people are the same as me. I just am one of those people who have a really hard time. My body reacts. Uh, so I went off meds after my full breakdown. And five months in, my doctor said to me, can I challenge you to take meds? And I'm like, sounds really weird, but okay. And he said, what would you do right now if you, you know, you're you're standing in front of me and your arm's like dangling broken. And I said, I'd let you cast me. He said, here's the most unmedical thing I've ever said. He said, Brett, your brain's broken. Let me cast you. And I actually went, okay. 
Uh, I'm presently not on meds. Uh, if you ever have to do meds, I would encourage you to Google this, the impact study at KMH. KMH, by the way, is C-A-M-H. People always type in K. It's a Center for Addiction Mental Health. They will send you a free kit. They will do a saliva test and a cheek swab and do a DNA sample on you and say, here's meds you should try. Here's meds we don't know. It's, it's just taking something that's such a kind of crapshoot and trying to figure out what might be good. Uh, if after my three-minute conversation on meds, uh, you're like, I don't care, Brett, meds are always wrong, here's my response. That's okay. I do think you're wrong, but that's okay. You and me, by the way, can have differing opinions and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a really important thing we seem to be losing in society today. Do you know that I have five emails at home from people who've written me and said I'm not a Christian because I'm sitting when I'm speaking? Let that sink in just for one second. I am now not a Christian because I'm sitting when I'm speaking. We now believe in like the Trinity, the resurrection, and standing while speaking as like the main tenets of Christian faith. What's not okay is to shame someone who makes a different decision than you. Being depressed uh, is bad enough, but being a depressed Christian is worse. What a horrible line. And being a depressed Christian in a church full of people who do not understand depression is like a little taste of hell. The Psalms treat depression more realistically than many of today's popular books on Christianity and psychology. David and other psalmists often found themselves deeply depressed for various reasons. They did not, however, apologize for what they were feeling, nor did they ever confess it as a sin. It was just this legitimate part of their relationship with God, and they interacted with God through the context of their depression. Somebody once said, no one in the Bible struggled with… I just clicked my button, and that was the end of that debate. Moses, Hannah, I mean, how about the Old Testament prophets who like ball their fists in rage and scream at God and say, darkness is my closest friend. Even Jesus said once, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Somebody said, are you saying Jesus was clinically depressed? I'm like, no. Like, it's funny how we just have all these extremes, but that's a pretty dark sentence. So is there hope? Yes. Of course there's hope. Is that not the basis of the gospels we believe in? Hope, healing, redemption, rescue. Now here's this other side of that coin. Do those of us who struggle always have hope? No. Do I have 1% hope that tonight I'm going to sleep through the night? I haven't slept through the night for almost 2,000 nights. No, I don't have any. Before I sleep through the night, I'm going to have to be up only maybe three times, two times. My wife says she gives hope for me. My counselor wants to give me hope for hope. It sounds like the movie Inception from years ago, but it's like drilling down layers of hope. Is there healing? It's funny, I was at a church and I said, this is an interesting one. That's all I said, and a man yelled out, don't you believe when you're dead and in heaven you'll be healed? And I'm like, oh, sorry, yes. But no one's ever asked me that. I speak on mental health, half of what I do. People walk up to me every single day with a loved one and say, Brett, this is my, my sister, my mother, my friend. Uh, you know, when, like, but no one's ever said, when they're dead, will they be better? They come up to me and say, will they be better before summer? They're in grade 12, before school next year, before something. Let me generalize 23 years as a speaker. Uh, think of a Pac-Man. You're like, what's Pac-Man? A big pizza with one piece taken out. Most of that are people who say this, I went through a journey and I've come back to a different wholeness. If you go through a journey, it will change you forever. I will never be the same guy that I was before. It changes you forever. The middle bit are people who say this, uh, I'm not in crisis, but I'm not better. I believe that's me right now. I'm not at home right now. I'm not trapped in my house, but I'm still not feeling good. And then there's the sliver. And if you've ever taken a course called Mental Health First Aid, which by the way, everybody should, there are mental health conditions which you will most likely have forever. And I say that with a caveat, unless we get miraculously healed. Here's what's hard with healing in our church. Do we believe that God heals? Yes. Do all people get healed? No. I had 20,000 people praying for me during my beginning of my journey for month after month. I did not get healed, and God is still God, and I am still not. 
So what do we do? What are the first steps? This isn't wishful thinking or avoidance. I remember sitting at home trying to figure out, you know, how can I help people? And I put all the emails out and every email said that they talked to somebody and then they got some kind of help. And after going through, I realized that they talked to everybody in the world and then they did everything that everyone told them. It was just like literally a million roads in a million directions. And I'm like, I quit. If I have to come to you and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to everybody afterwards and then do whatever they say. It's just chaos. I'm not doing that. And as I was kind of like, I'm sitting back on these sheets, I'm kind of saying, I'm going to quit. I looked to my left and one email said Jesus, one said Holy Spirit. So I sat up and I thought, I'm going to put things in piles. And I found three piles. Now let me just say this. I say my piles with my open hand, meaning if you want to change it, change it. You want to change them around, change them around. Do you know how many people have told me their piles? I've spoken this talk to over half a million people. Not one person has told me their version of piles. So here's mine. I found piles of the body, piles of the mind, and piles of the soul. And I'm like, I really like that. By the way, that's the mandate of every church I've ever attended. Even now I go to a church called C4 and Ajax, meeting the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of our community. The Baptist church that I began going to, meeting the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of our community. As I'm thinking this is great, I'm reading a, a, an article by Rick Warren who believes seven things. And, I, and then I realized that my daughter who was in grade four is not going to say words like vocational. And I'm like, so this doesn't work. And I think, I like body, mind, and soul. And by the way, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is where this would come from. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and body and soul be preserved complete. And then we have a mind and I, and I just kind of, this is what I've heard throughout my life. I like this. It's a simple kind of analogy. And so kind of like you said earlier, I, I stole this from someone somewhere. So I go to my first talk thinking people will love it. Guy puts up his hand. He says, Brett, 1 Thessalonians says soul and spirit. Why did you throw out the spirit? And I said to him, that sounded really horrible. I didn't throw out the spirit. And I said, are you a master's of divinity major? He said, yeah. I said, tripartite theology debate? He said, you know what that is? I'm like, no. I read an article of a thesis, and it was the most confusing thing ever. And I'm like, do you know what? Forget it. No one understands. I don't understand. So now we have body, mind, soul, and spirit. Now I don't like it as much. Uh, I go to the next talk, and a man stands up, and he says, I'm so angry with you. And I'm like, why? What are you angry at? He goes, why is Jesus last? This one took me a second. I'm like, Jesus last? I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. You think this is like one, two, and then if none of those work, do you think soul and spirit is Jesus? He said, yes. I said, no, these are like three circles. If you ever have, like, if this past winter you got sick and you had the flu, you don't, like, if that's your body, your mind, you're not having, like, great sessions of reading, you're not having great devotional times, like, everything does affect everything. And I said to him, do you think, like, if someone takes insulin for diabetes that Jesus is up in heaven saying, oh, no, I'm last? He said, I don't know. I'm like, can we debate better? Forget it, fine. Jesus is first. So I go to my next talk, and I'm like, I'm, this is the last talk I'm going to do this because I don't like what I'm speaking and a guy stands up and he actually said out loud, why isn't Jesus bigger? And I'm like, fine. So now we have bigger Jesus, <laughs> smaller mind. And as a side note, there's no offense to Jesus here, but this has just become kind of a bit of a joke. And here's the problem. What those people are arguing is this. This is a Bible college class of the three parts of the whole and what are we? Here's what I'm talking about. What do you do if when you leave the service today, your hand's shaking a bit and you don't know what's going on? What do you do if someone you love thinks they're having a heart attack, but they're actually not? Your issue might be physical, go see a doctor. It might be mental, psychological, go see a counselor. And I, I, I often say just here, your, your faith sustains you in those journeys. 
It's not that just because we know Jesus, we don't get sick. We don't, it's like, it's not like if you know Jesus, you won't have mental health issues. Our, our faith, now here, it's an interesting statistic. Those of us in the church actually have less mental health conditions than outside. Mainstream article, psychology today. But it's not just because we know Jesus. It's because of our, the term is religiosity. What are we doing right now? We're meeting. You come in, you've spoken to people, we meet greeters, we talk, afterwards you will, you'll hang out together, you might do small groups. As Christians, we meet, the idea of loneliness is a big deal. There's something about our community as Christians that helps us so much. Now, as I walk through body, mind, and soul, very specifically, just realize I'm an and person, not an or person. It is body and the mind and the soul. So here's what I did for my body, I, and continue to. I've had blood work done. I've been to a sleep specialist. Anybody been to a sleep specialist before? A couple people? You know these kinds of photos. They stick things all over your face. They're like, good night, and you go to bed. So I go to a sleep specialist. They tell me I have fragmented sleep, and I'm like, I know that. The doctor says there's nothing I can do for you here. Buddy of mine in Alberta is off work, youth pastor. He goes, they say the worst sleep apnea they've ever seen. They put him on one of those CPAP, I call them Darth Vader machines at nighttime. One night, he's better. One night. It's interesting how journeys can be different for different people. I've been on medicine. I'm presently not. Uh, I've had CAT scans, MRIs, neurologist books. I've had a naturopath, all of these things. Very simply, some of these things are just natural consequences to your unsustainable life. You can do things. You can exercise more. By the way, if you struggle with mental health, exercise daily. It's a non-negotiable whether it's a walk around the block or something, there's something about the chemicals in our brain with exercise, and then sleep more and eat better. I'm not saying you can't have a burger and fries. I'm saying maybe it becomes a burger, a salad, and a club soda. While you're doing this, go see a counselor, get some perspective and some care, understand why your emotions, just get some help. Now, the moment you say psychiatry, someone says, well, Brett, psychiatry is from a different worldview than we have as Christians, and I would say, I agree. But not everything secular is evil. Not everything Christian is good. We have to test everything in life, like a bit of a sieve. Can we accept it? Should we reject it? Should we modify it? And not lastly, but faith. First thing that came out of my mouth when I almost passed out was just the word Jesus. Jesus helped. Like, I don't know what's going on. We pray, we study, we worship. Sabbath is a choice. Guidance gets some. Living in the tension, spiritual disciplines. Read books by Dallas Willard, Richard Foster on reading and praying and fasting and studying and giving and all these other things. Our circumstances will never alter the character of God. God is God. We are not. I put up verses all over my house. Even things like Thomas Merton's Prayer of Abandonment, which basically says, God, I have no idea where I'm going, but you are God and I will trust you always. The goal was simple, to take chaos and to make it something that people understand, like body, mind, and soul. As a side note, how many of you are counselors? Quick show of hands, actual counselors? I don't think I see any. Great. None of us can counsel. Not even me. Now, someone once said, but the Bible says, you know, give good counsel. I'm like, yes, it's not give good counseling, it's love. Like, my daughter once came and one of her friends was struggling, and I said, your job is to love her. You can actually say, body, mind, and soul, hey, have you been to your doctor? I'll go with you. You want to go for a walk? Let's eat healthy today. You can say, I got a really great counselor. Can I go with you? Or let's go talk to, like, it's important that we let our pastors and our leaders and for students, our parents know so that we can surround you and support you and pray for you in these journeys. Faith's an interesting conversation because I think we often uh, use faith in ways that might be incorrect. Uh, I remember researching this conversation on suffering, uh, and then it was uh, one year ago this week, uh, my mom had a brain aneurysm, and I spent 19 days at Sunnybrook. Uh, she's actually doing okay. But here's what's hard with faith conversations. 
while my mom is in the hospital, somebody wrote and said Jesus healed her. But my mom knew at the church she attended, a two-week-old baby died the same day. When we start going, Jesus healed this, like now we're getting into fate and destiny and some of these weird, weird questions. I read a book, it stopped my research. It says there's five reasons we suffer. Any reasons any of us suffer go into this. Number one, we're caught up in a fallen world and we're deeply affected by it. One of my board members uh, died of a heart attack suddenly two years ago. Just eating breakfast, 40 years of age. We live in a fallen world. We're affected by it. Number two, we live with the effects of others' sins. My best friend was killed by a drunk driver 13, 14 years ago. We live with that forever. We live with our own sinful nature. I said I was strong enough. I'll be fine. I was wrong. And I always say if I could just go back and do it again. But here's the fallacy in that statement. I'm making an assumption that if I didn't do that, like I've even said to my wife, I wish I never started speaking. If I just kept being a teacher, I would not have these issues. The fallacy is that I probably would have these things. I assume I have a predisposition to mental health. You don't got to go speak 300 times to deal with mental health. Many of you struggle living very normal lives. Now, number four and number five are ones we don't like, but we can't just throw them out. Number four is Ephesians 6.12 talking about that there's a spiritual realm. And uh, I would just challenge you, don't go here first. The number of times I speak to teens and it's like my mom says I'm demonized and I'm like, have you ever been to a doctor? And it's like, no. It's like, we, we might put a bit too much on that, but it's still in Scripture. And the last one are the verses in the Bible we don't like. God tests people to know what's in their hearts. It's good for me to be afflicted so that I might know your decrees. Now you might say to me, Brett, which of these are you? For my journey, mine, I actually don't know. And I would just say this, uh, my life, my history, my ministry, my all are for his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his all. I could have not sat here seven years ago and had a conversation on mental health like I can today. So what do you do in these places? Genesis, uh, Abraham just says, here I am. How about the most butchered verse we get with people? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now here's the problem. I wish it was a proverb. Like if it was a proverb, proverbs are not promises. They are adages, they are wisdom. We'll talk about a few proverbs this afternoon. But this is actually a promise. But here's the problem. Paul does not say life will all be good. It won't. People will die in car accidents. I lost two friends last year. I I heard you at a funeral. I'm I'm sorry for whatever happened, and I I don't know your story. But I've been to five funerals this year on my own. The truth is, life happens. Is God still God in these devastating things? Yes, Did any of these people only need to pray more or read their Bible more and they would have been fine? No, that is religious abuse and it is incorrect theology. My, one of my, a chairman of my board of directors, uh, his father died of cancer 30 years ago. His church said when he died that that family didn't read their Bible and pray enough and that's why they died. 30 years later, he weeps when I, I get to this section of my talk. He actually has to leave because it's just so emotional. Life won't always be good. Uh, The truth is, even people who walked with Jesus, if everyone who walked with Jesus lived this great life, John the Baptist was beheaded. Like, that's not good. Uh, Jesus was murdered. Job, Job's family died. Job came back, but remember the wind came and the house fell and Job's family died? Is God's kingdom moving towards its end in Revelation? Yes. Is it good? Yes. Remember, though, God's good and our ultimate good are going to be different. The best translation of this verse Whatever your circumstances, good or bad, God is still fighting for you. Professor of systematic theology says to me once, you know it's a verb, right? So what do you mean? He goes, it's working along with for the good. We all use it wrong. I'm like, that'd be a good thing for all of us just to know. Because it changes that, you know, no matter what happens, 
We all can use what's happened and bring it out for the good. If you go through struggles, breaking an arm, cancer, if a tree falls in your car, if, if your house is burning down, we call the proper people, we do the proper things. I would just say we need to let people with mental health do the same. And I believe sometimes we just don't talk about it enough, and that's why. I'm going to give you two slides, some resources, and we're done. What did I need? Now, here's what people often gave me, and I'm going to challenge you never to say these things again, even though I know all of us, including me, have said these before. Things like everything happens for a reason. This is a really nice sentence, but I don't believe it's true, and I actually don't believe it's biblical. In the, in the place of free will, the other opposite is called determinism. And when we start saying everything happens for a reason, we start getting into what I think is determinism, which is actually Islamic. It's actually not Christian faith. And here, even just more simply, if you believe this is true, how dare we tell someone on a dark day everything happens for a reason, and then what do we do? We leave. And they sit and in their unwellness, they now have to try to figure out in all of God's sovereignty, what is this one thing that might be happening for a reason? God must have something amazing planned. I don't disagree with this. But don't tell someone again on their darkest day God's doing this. Are you still reading your Bible? Words from God. I get these all the time. How about God won't give you more than you can handle? This is not in the scriptures. Now, you're going to say, it is. Someone once said it is. It's like, it says you won't be tempted more than you can handle. That's a different verse. Throughout the Old Testament, people said, literally, like, I have more than I can handle. And we lean back on God. In times of trouble and death and pain and sorrow and mental health, we always lean back on God. But yes, many of us live with more than we can handle. Don't ever say, if you need any help, let me know. Here's how you change it. Just give help. Don't say, if you want me to bring you a meal, I will. Just bring someone a meal. Mental health, have you ever heard someone say, uh, like, there's certain illnesses that are casserole illnesses? No, we don't use that term much, but like, mental health has been called a non-casserole illness. No one brought me a single meal when I was at home for a year. But I broke eight bones in my arm last year falling off my bike, another story. People brought me meals. I remember kind of thinking how weird that is. I can still cook with one arm, and I'm fine, but people didn't bring me anything other times. Is there sin in your life? I got the one all the time, and I'm like, yeah, lots. And then they didn't know what to say. <laughs> Have you tried praying? Say the demonic, you will be okay. Here's what you say. How are you today? Today I can answer. Because sometimes when things are rough, you can't answer. It's just how are you today? How are you now? Say I'm praying for you and then actually do it. How dare we tell someone we're praying for them and not actually do it? I have an app I use called Evernote, do whatever you want. But if I'm saying I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to open up my app, ask for your name, put your text in, put your information in, and then I will pray for you, and I can catch up with you. Say something, just say anything. I have friends and family who still don't ask me how I'm doing on a yearly basis, and I don't understand that. Give them a hug. I'm not saying go give everyone creepy hugs. I'm just saying a hug is good. Sit with them, listen to their journey, ask how is your struggle going, talk about something else, and you're all looking at shawarma going, what? Yes, shawarma is healing. Darkest day of my life, a friend of mine just brought me over lunch, and it was a shawarma. It was from a Christian, uh, there's a place in Ajax, family from Nazareth, and they make the best. If words like baba ganoush, hummus, and tabbouleh fill your soul, you understand. There's something about food, and I would just say if someone you know is struggling, bring them what they like. Whether it's Tim Hortons coffee or pizza from Pizza Pizza, it doesn't matter. Some thoughts and we're done. By the way, 2 Corinthians 1.3, who comforts us in all our troubles, why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Please advocate for each other. We do have a broken medical system, and I say that with all respect to people in the medical system. My wife is a nurse. What I mean is no one talks to anybody. How on earth in 2019 don't we have one computer program that has everything that anyone ever does with you medically in one place? 
I say this gracefully, but stop being a victim. Stop making this your identity. You are more than your mental health. I don't feel that way often, but I am. Stop wallowing in misery. We need to help children and adults and parents, everyone understand that the clouds of their emotions can and will roll on by. And if one door is not working, choose another. If one counselor's not working, choose another. If one medication's not working, choose another. For those of you more around my age, uh, Bruce Coburn sang this years ago, to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. This is a fight, so fight. But I don't see fight. I see a lot of apathy and a lot, remember that whole definition at the beginning? I see people making the whole their home. It's okay to not be okay. I saw that on your mental health thing. But it's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way is the rest of that quote, right? It's okay, we, it's okay to not be well, but you need to work at getting out of that. Uh, how do you make your church, your school, your whatever a relevant accepting place for those of us who struggle with mental health? By doing what you did yesterday and today, by talking about it. It's that simple. My website is just my name. It's brettalman.com. If you click on the talks, which is right here, it drops down. Every talk except for the one this afternoon has a take-home button. If you click on it, all the information from that talk is there. My social media is there, and mental health is the first tab if you click on it. Three years of mental health blogs. And I have a weekly YouTube video that I'm, a channel that I'm working on, which is just Literally, it's for parents to navigate everything, but there's tons of mental health stuff on there, and I'm finding lots of teens are on there as well. Um, I have all my talks in uh, physical and digital. I do have four different books. Two of them are mental health-based. My reset book is a free ebook on my breakdown. It might sound weird. Someone wrote me and said, Brett, would you write out your breakdown in book form? And I said, that, why? And they said, because I've never heard a Christian's perspective on a breakdown. And I said, you know what? Neither have I. So that's free, and you can find that on my site. Three slides left. If you want one really, really good book on anxiety, I would buy the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. Now, it's not a, not a faith-based book, but it's 700 pages, almost eight and a half by 11. Like, it is, you want to talk about nutrition or medication or sleep. It's just profound. We can add our faith around that. My counselor told me to put this beside my bed, and it was life-changing. Great courage with great care. There are days that you might not be feeling well, and that's okay. Great courage. Get up. Go to work go to church, go to school, do what you need to do, and then great care. When you go through tough times, right, go, great courage and then great care. Here's the problem with most of us. We don't know what great care means. What fills us up is, like, of course, faith, devotions, those things, being in church, worship, but uh, maybe it's Skyping grandmother, going for a meal with your family, playing a game. Like, you need to have that great care. For many of us, all this emotion, all this struggle is really overwhelming, and I want us to slow it down as we finish. What you can do is what you can do. You can do what? You can eat better. You can sleep more. You can exercise daily. You can make sure your pace of life is good. You can let everyone around you do what they can do. Doctors, pastors, counselors, teachers, parents, friends, leaders. And of course, as Christians, we allow God as Father, Son, and Spirit to move in this journey as well. Uh, our goal this morning was to move you onto or push you farther along that path of hope healing, redemption, rescue, and I pray it's given you some thoughts and tips for that today. If you want to chat, I will be outside. Thank you so much for having me in today, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.